Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today I have Mark Willis. He is a certified financial planner. Mark, how are you doing today? Great, Chris. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for being on. I'm really looking forward to diving into your expertise in finance. I definitely did a bunch of research on that, and everybody's interested about finance, about learning how to be financially free, about learning where to invest and so on and so forth. But before diving into, into all of that, I gave a brief introduction of who you are. Do you mind unpacking that a bit more? Who do you are? What do you do? Talk about your firm in Chicago as well. Just unpack that for us. Well, it's true. And, and especially over the last 18 months or so, we've really seen an uptick in a lot of the specialized services we offer being asked for by many clients from all across the country and really across the world. We've got clients across all 50 states and Canada and beyond. Uh, and our, our focus has really been, been to really build some financial sanity in a very insane world. Mm -hmm. uh, there are choices you have with where you put your cash and where you put your money makes it do different things. And so my background was I came out of college with not a lot of awareness of the hundreds, thousands of places uh, of financial products that you can put your money into. And, and if you truly think about it, if you combine, let's say, one product with another, you can create a strategy that now we've got millions of choices that the average person just does not have the time to research, nor the desire. And I certainly didn't grow up learning about money. In fact, I graduated with, with about $120,000 of US student loan debt. And that, that was right in the middle of the Great Recession of 2008. And so I didn't have a whole you know, silver spoon in my hand, for sure, more, more so to the point I didn't have a plan for how I was going to get out of that debt. Uh, fast forward to today, we've been really blessed. And thank goodness, we've been able to serve um, over a 1000 clients across the country to help take back control of their financial future, and do it in a way that's safe, predictable and helps them become their own source of financing. Okay. I love this so much, Mark. We're going to geek out about finances, about money, about uh, uh, fiat currency and all that fun stuff. But before diving into it, now you said that you have worked obviously with like uh, many clients and you help them with their finances. So how do you go about guiding somebody that comes to you with not much of a portfolio, maybe limited resources or whatever the resources is, what do you suggest first? Do you tell them, hey, you know what, put it in real estate, put it in stock market and bonds, mix it up, uh, Bitcoin, uh, digital currency, whatever the case is. What's your, your go-to approach to really create wealth that is going to work for you? Well, working for you and working for another person might mean two different things. So I always sit down one-on-one -on -one over Zoom, or over the phone, and we'll have a discussion. So, you know, it starts with a 15 minute discussion, but then we typically have a second follow up where we really dive into more of an hour and a half long discussion. I want to get to know the person on the other end of that phone or Zoom line and get to know like what, what makes them tick. 
What are their concerns? What are they afraid of? What are they excited about? What do they want that money doing for them? Because like I said, Chris, uh, where you put your money makes it do different things. Real estate for one person might mean something completely different than real estate for somebody else. Hmm. And a, a, a great financial tool is not the same thing. It's, it's not, there's no perfect financial instrument out there just for everybody. No, no um, one size fits all. I know a lot of your audience you mentioned are high performing uh, CEO and entrepreneur level type folks. And being a business owner myself, I can say a few things to that crowd because I'm one myself in that same crowd. And I noticed that access to cash is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Liquid money. It's like oxygen. You know, if you don't have access to money, then you might as well pack up your bag and go back home because that business of yours is not going to last very long. So access to cash for the business owner specifically uh, has some very, uh, it's a leverage point. There's a return on the certainty and accessibility of your cash that cannot be measured on the interest rate at the end of your bank statement, let's say. So there's a particular rate of return of certainty. There's a rate of return of liquidity that we just don't necessarily talk about in typical financial planning discussions, but it's obviously there. Case in point, let's say you've got 200 grand of liquid money, $200,000 of liquid money, and I have nothing. I've got a thousand bucks in the bank and you see a great real estate deal. Now, before you saw that deal, you might've been languishing and you know complaining about the rate of return of your savings account. But as soon as you see that deal, that real estate deal, that money now becomes deployed. It's like soldiers in your army. And you can put that money to work and get a return that I, as a guy who doesn't have any money in the bank, let's pretend, um, would not be able to participate in. So there's a rate of return of certain liquid guaranteed access to capital. That's just one of maybe two or three dozen different characteristics, attributes that we'd want to explore with our clients to, to set up a strategy. Whether you've got a couple hundred bucks a month or you're doing a couple hundred grand a year or a couple million a year, you'd need to think about what do you want that money doing for you? All right. So that, that's maybe, that's more of an, it depends answer. I realize, Chris, but every person's money is going to be a little different. And it just comes down to what do you want that money doing for you? And have you thought about that? Because most people live their life just kind of doing what they're told to do. RRSP, 401k, yeah. savings account, just do what you're told and don't ask questions. That's kind of the typical model I saw when I was just getting into the financial planning field and I worked for a CPA at the time that sort of, you know, as good as she was, and she was very good, uh, she never really gave people the chance to think. So we try our best to help people think at our financial firm. I love that. So you're teaching them on, on the back end of like, hey, what do you want your money to do for you? What is your position? What is your uh pain threshold as well. I'm guessing something that you talk about to look at, Hey, where are you at within your journey of your life? Do you want to hold capital? Like you said, you talked to it or you alluded to the high performing CEOs and entrepreneurs, uh, just like our audience, such as ourselves, we're very much in the beginning of our journey, starting the business and the cash flow is really important. Like that example that you gave with the $200,000 in the bank and having an opportunity to jump on a real estate deal. Now I love that. And I did see, and I do want to have your opinion on this. So a lot of millionaires around me have always told me it's not about how much you make, but how much you keep, aka your taxes, right? aka understanding that whole game behind it. Now, talk to me a bit about what are some strategies that we can utilize to be able to keep more money 
instead of giving it to the government. And I'm not saying let's not give money to the government because there is, you have to tax, you have like taxes, like there's reason for taxing. You have so many benefits, the, the roads, the hospitals, so on and so forth. There's great things. But if you could be smart about it to save as much as possible, let's talk about that. And what is maybe the threshold of money that you need to start getting to be able to play in that game? Do you need to be, have like seven figures? Do you need to make a million dollars to be able to be playing that? Or you need to start off with six figures, a hundred thousand dollars to be able to be in that reality. What do you speak to that, Mark? Well, it's a great question because we all participate in the citizenship fee that is the tax annual tax bill. Yeah. And whether you're on a monthly withholding with your W-2 paycheck, your employee paycheck, and you're paying every month toward that tax bill, or as an entrepreneur, typically you pay quarterly or once a year, either way, you've got to, uh, you've got to keep that citizenship fee paid or you're going to jail, right? <laughs> so now here's the question. Um, are you still contributing to society, even if you didn't pay a, lot, a lion's share to the IRS? or you know, the, uh, you know, the Department of Revenue in your country? I'd say yes. Think about all the, the good. I, I bought some stuff off Amazon this morning, right? And you know, famously, Jeff Bezos, the former owner of Amazon and president, whatever, uh, he paid almost nothing in taxes, mm -hmm. almost nothing in multiple years. There was a Treasury, uh, Treasury Department data leak earlier last year. Uh, it, it, it was leaked all over the press and it showed Bezos... Zuckerberg, um, you know, Carl Icahn, Elon Musk, all of the most wealthy many times pay zero in taxes. Uh, and how did they do that? Here's what they did. They buy a bunch of stock or real estate or other things that appreciate in value, but do not spin off income. Now that's an interesting choice. Okay. You buy real estate, you think, well, I want cash flowing real estate. And that's what you get. But what is cash flowing real estate? Well, if you get an income, you have to pay a what income tax. And so what they do is they buy assets that don't generate an income. You know, famously, Warren Buffett has his lion's share of his uh, wealth in Berkshire Hathaway stock, which does not pay a dividend. That's interesting. You know, it's it, he'd pay billions more in taxes, li literally, according to the research, if that dividend share was received by him and then he paid an income tax or a capital gains tax on it. But by not paying on that tax, as he, as he uh, says stock appreciate in value, he simply borrows against it and pays no tax. When you borrow against a, an asset, you know, whether it's a house like your mortgage or a margin loan on your brokerage account uh, or a loan against a life insurance policy, uh, you know that the list goes on and on. Any kind of loan is not considered income by the IRS and therefore you pay no taxes. Now that's an interesting, cool way to participate like billionaires. We all can buy whole life policies. You can do that with a couple hundred bucks a month. Uh, we can all buy stock. Now the trouble with stock is when you borrow against that, guess what? Stocks can go down too. In fact, Elon Musk is famous for saying that if, if Tesla stocks go south, if they drop in value, all of his borrowed assets, he's borrowed so much heavily against his positions in Tesla. And if Tesla drops in value, his words are, I'll go bankrupt overnight. Mm -hmm. the, the wealthiest man in the world to going bankrupt overnight, if all of us commoners decide that Tesla is no longer worth a thousand multiple, right? Uh, so that's, an, that's a huge crack in the, the system of traditional kind of billionaire, it's called buy, borrow, die is the name of the strategy. It's, it's literally, look it up, it's called buy, borrow, die. You, you buy assets, you borrow against them. 
none of it's taxable. And then you die and there's a step up in basis when you pass away, when you leave it to your kids. All of that is done completely legally, been around a hundred plus years. And it's many times it's, it's encouraged by this low interest rate environment we're living in right now. Because you think about it, if you're the Federal Reserve and you've suppressed interest rates down to almost nothing, it's cheap to borrow that, that money against your stocks. And the stock price has inflated in value because we have low interest rates. So, you know, whatever you think about where interest rates are headed in the future, no one's got a crystal ball. But boy, you know, that's what's allowed some of these uh, strategies like buy, borrow, die to happen among things like stocks and real estate. Now, I'll, I'll hush after this, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, Chris, but there's one asset that the billionaires use and banks use that does not drop in value like that. There's no risk to losing your shirt overnight like Elon is so concerned about. And funny enough, of all things, a whole life insurance policy grows on a guaranteed basis every single year, and you can still borrow against it and pay no taxes for it. You know, I just borrowed a six-figure sum. And I know clients that borrow six figures, seven figures, even from their policies and pay no taxes on yeah. that access to capital. Right. So that's an interesting uh, point. The last one you just made, which is if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but essentially that's being your own bank, right? So when you're able mm -hmm. to take uh, uh, an insurance on something and then borrowing on it, it's like you're using that borrowing fee and being your own bank. Uh, now, one thing I wanted to validate and just highlight, just so I could be clear, so that borrow, uh, buy, borrow, die concept that you talked about with Elon Musk and so on, when they pass away and that money goes to their next of kin, so their uh, people are going to get it, family, kids, so on and so forth, do they pay taxes on it or that's tax-free? Tax yeah, it's, it's a tax-free event to, it's actually what, what happens is the basis of the stock, which was maybe... Elon bought his shares at hundred bucks a share, let's say, and let's say they appreciate in value to a thousand bucks a share when he passes away or 3000 or whatever, his children or whoever he leaves it to their basis. It's almost like they bought the stock at $3,000 a share or whatever mm -hmm. it was when he passes away. And so if they sold the stock the next day after poor Elon graduates on us, uh, they would pay no, no, no taxes at all. Okay. Okay. Mark, first of all, I, I love where this conversation is going. Yeah, and not to blow steam up your butt far from it. You're a very eloquent speaker and you explained very well the, these concepts that are complicated. So that being said, I want to ask you a question. Now, in regards to what's happening in the last couple of years with the pandemic that just, just raged on and still trying to get over that hump in that regards, and the Fed within this pandemic have printed trillions of dollars of money and understanding how money is with fiat currency, which is essentially a money that has no tangible good behind it. Uh, in the 70s, Nixon took that out where before it was linked up with uh, gold, which gold is an actual asset. Now being a fiat currency, it could create a hyperinflation. So you kind of understand where I'm going with this question. Where are we going with the US dollar being essentially the world currency in itself, because a lot of people have that backing and printing out so much money and the average person their dollar is not worth the same anymore. And we're seeing it in the grocery stores. We're seeing it in the gas stations. Now, granted, there's other factors involved with the war, unfortunately, in Ukraine and so on. Where are we going with this? Because if we look at history, there isn't one single fiat currency that lasted through time. Are we going to an age right now that we're in the brink of 
legit collapse in this currency? And if so, are we going towards a digital currency that's going to replace it that has that certain uh, uh, blockage of how much we can mine and so on and so forth? So it's a very long question, but I know that you're going to do a great job of answering it. I want to know your two cents on it. Where are we going with this uh, fiat currency that we currently have within uh, hyperinflation? Well, it's a great question. It's a relevant question. It is a relevant question because you know all of our lives are tied up in the the commerce mode of the U.S. dollar or the Canadian uh, money system, and so I'd say that's that's something important to ask ourselves is. You know, what's going to happen if the dollar is devalued? Uh, really, guys, we've been experiencing inflation for all of our life, mm -hmm. and that's not normal. That's not normal. Um, oh, so, so wait, wait, wait. That's, that's interesting. Because, okay, uh, so I'm born in 1989. My whole life, I have seen inflation and I've seen that normal. Like gas prices, I remember when I was a kid, my father used to fill up like, and used to be $20 to fill up the gas. And you're like, oh, wow. And now I just filled up my Lexus for $120, right? So yeah. mm -hmm. how is it that you're saying it's not normal? Because I've never heard anybody say that. Sorry to jump in, but well, let's, let's unpack No, it's that. fine. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's normal for our lifetimes, but you know, the world didn't start when you and I were born in the 80s. Uh, so the, the question is, what is the normal method of, uh, of commerce? And there's a great book out there by David Graeber. It's called Debt, the First 5,000 Years. Okay. And if you want perspective, you got to change where you're standing. You know? So if we're looking at our lifetimes, 30, 40 years, whatever, that's one perspective. But if you zoom out and look at 5,000 years of human history, because that's how long money has existed as far as they can go back. Uh, yeah, deflation and is just as normal or if not more normal than inflation. Now, in corrupt economies, they'll clip the coins. Even in the Roman Empire, they would clip the edges of the coin. Uh, I'll give a bit of context to what I'm saying there. You know, you get a regular coin, gold coin, uh, worth a certain weight in gold, and then they'll clip those edges, the the greedy um, uh, um, um those in power, let's just say that, mm -hmm. uh, would, would end up clipping a bit of the coin, shaving a little off. Maybe it's a business owner, maybe it's a politician, maybe it's just somebody in their back basement, but they'll take a little piece off that gold. And now it's still looks like a gold coin worth you know $10 or $100 or whatever, but we've shaved the corners off. Uh, this is why there are edges, ridges on our quarters and, and um, you know several our dimes here in the US. If you look at many of your coins, you'll see ridges on the coin. The reason why there's little uh, there's a textured ridge on that coin is to kind of assure the holder of that coin that there was no shaving of the coin. What is the shaving of the coin? It's inflation. Okay. So what's happened since we've gone off, as you said, the gold standard in 71 uh, is we've seen a market increase in inflation quite a bit. Actually, we've lost 90% of the US dollars value in the last 50 years. Um, and Many people say it will continue. And here's the truth. At some point, the US dollar will go away. That's a fact, you know, at some point, you know. Uh, so the question is when. Uh, now, here's my thoughts, and I don't have a crystal ball. You know, I can say an unreserved yes, the dollar will someday cease to exist, just like all things this side of heaven. Uh, but will it happen in our lifetime or even our children's lifetime? I don't know. I don't think so. Think about it. If the dollar goes away, are we still going to have all the capital in our country or or Canada? In in in, uh, in and by that capital, I mean all the airplanes, all of the real estate, all of the assets that make and back the dollar. I think so. Yeah. Unless we also get maybe like, I mean, we're talking like a nationwide 
uh, invasion or something, and they take all of your airplanes and all your assets and all of your capital, all of your farming equipment and everything. I mean, we're talking into the world kind of scenario there. Even if the dollar went away, what would replace it would be just as permanent, just as valuable, right? Now, I don't believe in putting all of your money into one currency, but I do think I can put my faith and effort into contracts. This is why I don't believe in traditional retirement planning and financial planning. Traditional retirement planning, financial planning ties your horse to the dollar's uh, race. You got to put money in the stock market. Well, what's going to happen if the dollar tanks? The stock market's going to zero, right? And if, if there's other um, ways to build your wealth beyond just stocks, bonds, mutual funds, I call that paper wealth. What else is there? Um, well, I guess I'll hush and get your thoughts on that so far. First of all, what do you think? You know, no one's got the crystal ball, Chris, but you know, even if the dollar goes away, something else would replace it. Call it yes. the that's the crypto dollar or whatever else. Yes, right. So that's where I think we're going towards. My humble opinion, I think you're definitely in a better position to to talk about this. But like I said, if we just look at history, there isn't one fiat currency that lasted through time. And like you said, this one's going to go as well. We do not want, we don't know when is it going to be our generation, kids' generation, whatever the case is. But I don't think it's going to be a utopian world that we're going to go back to bartering or so on and so forth. There has to be some tangible. Uh, something to be doing an exchange. And I think it's going to go towards digital currency. We're just seeing what the powers of this world, the governments of this world are trying to position themselves within the world of crypto and trying to regulate it because now it's not taxed and all that stuff. And I do believe that it's going towards that. Now, the only thing I hope, and I don't understand crypto enough yet, I've interviewed several people in that regards, but if we just look at like the Bitcoin that you could only mine a certain amount and there is a, a threshold on that, that's what I would be really pleased on because it would be the same thing as having a currency that's backed by gold. You have a certain standard, so there wouldn't be hyperinflation. So all I'm saying is we're going to go towards digital, which we already are. You know, like the paper money doesn't really exist. When you go to the bank and give $100, they keep 10% and they give you $90 to somebody else that's pulling out. That's how dollars get you know done. It's the zeros and ones all over the, the, right. uh, the board here. So what we're going towards, I think, is that, and hopefully it's structured in a way that there cannot be hyperinflation because that's where the danger comes. And like you said, I, I didn't even have that perception. You just kind of opened my eyes towards that, that it's not normal that throughout our 30, 40, whatever last years, that there always have been inflation. That's not a normal trend. And the last yeah. two years, it's Look, been Look at the Gilded dangerous. Age. Yeah, since the Civil War in the United States, there was deflation, significant deflation. And there's deflation in today's dollars too. I mean, look at the price of your computer versus the price of the computer you bought three years ago and the value of that computer. But is that uh, deflation but, you know, or that's technology that's taking forward? Because that's two different things that's, though, no? That's, it's, it's both, you know, it's both. I mean, so in the Gilded Age after the Civil War, there was significant costs were coming down dramatically. Uh, and that's, is that a bad thing? I don't know. I don't pay as much for gas. I don't, this year as I did last year, I don't pay as much for, you know, food, whatever. So there's, there's value to the consumer when you don't have to spend as much for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's, you know, I, I like to get people thinking about, well, why is it I believe what I believe? And I think what you and I are, are discussing here is the value of the contract, whether it's a, you know, uh, a contract on the blockchain or it's a written contract or whatever you have, that's, that goes back as far as human civilization. The contract is really where your wealth needs 
to be. And I don't say the word needs very often, but anything else is just paper profits. Mm -hmm. You know, stocks go up and they come down. But if you have a contract, whether that's a real estate deal, you know, where you've got a contract with your tenant to pay you a certain amount, where you've got a certain amount of money on the blockchain and there's a contract there where you can prove your wealth, or if you've got a whole life insurance policy where you, it grows on a guaranteed basis every single year, and, and, and there's nothing we can really do to stop that growth because it is guaranteed. I mean, those things are, are truly the bedrock of true wealth, not so much the, the um, speculations of what's, you know, what's going to happen next year. Are we going to keep uh, fighting in Europe? Are we going to keep uh, wrestling with this virus? Uh, I'd say that the true, um, the true ways to build your wealth are around contracts, not so much paper wealth. Interesting. Interesting. And a contract reflecting a lot towards your, uh, the self-banking, which is essentially like what we were talking about previously. Mark That's one tool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but think about it. What is the value of your rental property? If you don't have a contract that you, your name is on the deed of that property, all okay. you have is squatters rights. You know, if, if you don't have a, a, a deed that, that says you own that property, all you have is squatters rights in the property. Uh, so yeah. There's a number of different ways you can build contracts. Annuities are a great way to build a contract. They, they go back to the Roman civilizations uh, as well. In fact, I was in a, a museum in Chicago here, and there's a big pick, there's this big uh, parchment along the wall of an annuity from 2,300 years ago. And it, it essentially, an annuity just pays you a paycheck every day, every month, every year for the rest of your life, no matter how long you live. So anyway, I'm sorry to, to ramble on that, but no, no, what, sorry, this it makes perfect sense. You're just essentially taking a step back to really look at what is the value and it's actually the contract. The, the mm -hmm. good of the real estate is back to the notary's contract. What's in the, in the system with your tenant, the same thing with the, with the stock market, it's, you're having a contract. So it's the contract. Very interesting how you're kind of disassociating the actual tangible good towards what's actually paying you is the contract that you're linked up with that actual good or X, Y, and Z. Very interesting perspective on that end, Mark. Uh, here's my next question to you. It's very obvious that you're a successful individual with what we just spoke about, the knowledge you have, what you've created within your financial firm in Chicago. And there's a lot to learn about success. Like, you know, Tony Robbins always says this, success leaves clues. But I truly believe that difficulties and failures leave a lot of clues and a lot of lessons as well. So my question to you is, what is something you're specifically struggling with within your business right now towards a growth or whatever the case is? And how do you go about thinking about that? And what's your approach to fixing that solution or fixing that problem or whatever the case is? Boy, that's a great question. And you do a great job asking. The biggest struggle I think I'm facing and my team is all we're all facing, I think really as a country as a world, maybe we're all short staffed. <laughs> we're all short staffed. I saw a sign at a coffee shop the other day. It said, um, the world is short staffed. So be kind to those who showed up. And I love that. That is actually, that. that's great marketing. That is like, yeah. you know, just you know, change your perspective, people be kind. We're mm -hmm. short staffed. We're doing our best. That is so, so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, so we're, we're working on building the best culture possible, which is tough because we're a, a distributed team across the region here in Chicago area. Uh, but you know, our, our, our values and the team, the recruiting team on, on, uh, on our, at our firm, Lake Growth Financial Services, we are hiring by the way. Um, <laughs> the, the team is doing a great job of building our, 
values right into the job description, right into the interviews. They've created this incredible hiring process that honestly, if I wasn't already working here, I'd try to come work here because it's so good. They do a great job, but I have had to find my way out of that process. And they've invited me to simply be informed on how they're doing rather than me putting my hands in the, in the hiring project. And that's been a hard thing for me to learn how to let go of. Okay. Okay. There's a couple of things that you mentioned there I want to unpack. So first and foremost, you're hundred percent right. I, I do ask this question often because I really like to keep a pulse on seeing where we're at within the entrepreneur world. And that is a huge part. We're definitely in the market of, it is a worker's market instead of a, uh, the, the, the owner, the CEO's market and so on and so forth. Now, I'm curious to know, and because you mentioned it, what are some of our strategies to attract them? And you mentioned the aspect of mission and vision, which is a huge thing that I believe in. This is something I coach to my executive CEO clients. It's not somebody that's working for you. It's somebody that's working for the same mission and vision. And once you have that ideology, people will be so much more passionate about it. So one, the aspect of what are you guys doing to attract people maybe differently? Are you doing anything different or just that mission and vision that's really in the forefront to attract these people? Well, um, you're asking the wrong guy because I've literally removed myself from that Perfect. project. Um, but but I, I can tell you that what they've done is they've created a system where uh, we learn about the, the um, applicant and they learn about us. We share our values, expectations, goals, dreams. We send them books about some of the strategies that we're really keen on and really specialize in. We let them listen to our podcast, which is not your average financial podcast. We want their feedback uh, and we give them, you know, of course, answers. We give them once they are um, into the details of it, we give them, of course, perks and and, uh, benefits and so forth and all that that comes with being a part of a great team. But we're really trying to make it as much about their heart as it is about their wallet uh, when it comes time to working with us. Beautiful. Okay. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the way you started answering it. And here's my follow-up question to that, which was already in my mind. You mentioned that you were having a hard time delegating or letting go of this process as the CEO, as the head of the business. Let's unpack that. Why is that? How did you realize that you needed to let go of that? This is the main thing I want to highlight. How did you realize that, hey, this is not something I should be doing. Somebody else should be doing it. And once you realize that, what were your pinpoints of what you should need to do within your business so you could really bring it to the next level as you, as the owner of the business? Listen, if you're a business owner, you want to bring people on. Clients, you want to serve people, you want to f- fix a problem in, in, the, in their life, whatever it is, you know, uh, help them go to college, help them retire well, whatever your business's focus is. And so I'm too quick to just say, come on, we'll figure it out, you know? Uh, so we, I would hire too fast and I would fire too slow. Hmm. We needed to reverse that. Uh, and so we brought some people on other team members who were working with us already. So we've got a team uh, that does the recruiting now. And I use a tool now called the RACI chart, R-A-C-I, to help me remember kind of who's got the ball in whatever area of, and department of our business. Because we've got a nice expanding team. And my job is is not always to have my hands in in that project. In fact, it used to be the case where I was the chief cook, uh, dishwasher and, and, uh, and, and plumber and, and, uh, you know, I did everything accountant, everything, but as you grow, you have to really start to say, well, who's got the ball here. And so RACI stands for responsible authority consulted 
and informed. And if you can kind of imagine all the members of your team along the top, and then R, A, C, and I is in the boxes in this little spreadsheet and along the, the sidelines is all the projects, hiring, firing, uh, account accounting, uh, tax payments, uh, recruiting new associates, which we're also doing, um, personal financial planning projects, uh, which you know is is you know just each of the different departments of our business, uh, training, uh, everything that you can imagine the business doing has to you have to really decide who's going to be responsible for this, who has the ultimate authority for it, where does the buck stop, uh, who has the uh, ability to be consulted, who's got in information that we need to share with. And then finally, who's just going to be told, this is what we decided, and we're running with it. And I love putting the, in, the I informed next to my name on as many projects as possible, because I'm just simply informed, hey, this is what we all decided to do. Mark, hope you like it, uh, because it, it means that we've truly let go. We have another system that we try to do when training our, our new staff. It's called Model, Assist, Watch, and Leave. M-A-W-L. So we maul all of our employees, M-A-W-L. And we'll follow that process with each of our projects with clients and, and uh, excuse me, with, with staff. We'll model it. We'll assist with them. Then we will watch them do the project. And then finally, we leave and let them do it by themselves. And that's sort of the training process that we go through. So it's nice to see that we've been able to um, bring on a new recruiting team and then M-A-W-L with them, model, assist, watch, leave, even the recruiting process. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And thank you for sharing that because it, it's highly important. It's one thing that I work on all the time with my clients is that intention and clarity aspect. You have to be extremely clear of who you are as an entrepreneur and who you are as a CEO. You should not be doing everything. Now, granted, there's a time that you, if you're a solopreneur starting off, like you said, you had all those hats and that's okay. But even at that point, you have to know what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. So then once you know that, then you'll be able to, once you have the assets to hire somebody, you'll know what's the first position you need to hire and what's the job description. And then as you do that, you're able to see my strength, my talent lies in X, Y, and Z division within my company. So that's where I need to play. Everything else I need to delegate so then we could grow together. Now, Mark, I feel like we could talk until tomorrow morning. I truly appreciate this great conversation. My last question to you is, where can our listeners and our viewers connect with you? Uh, if they want to know more about the finance world, if they want to uh, potentially invest some money with you, or if they're just interested to get a job, if they're listening and be like, hey, yeah. you know what? This place looks pretty cool and I'll be potentially interested. Where can they connect with you? Yeah, thank you. We've got a podcast. Um, the podcast name is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. If you go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, you'll find our website there, find a way to reach out. We could even do a 15-minute phone call to get to know you a bit and see if we'd be a good fit uh, and in working together. Uh, and honestly, it's been a real privilege to get to chat with you, Chris. You've got a great uh, list of questions, but more importantly, your heart and your pursuit of truth uh, is exciting and encouraging to me. Uh, so let's find out how money's going to look in the generation to come. And I, all I know is it, it's not going to look the way it has. And we need to come up with bold new solutions uh, to today's complex world.
hundred percent. I really appreciate that because I do agree. The only way we're going to go forward is by asking the right questions, not necessarily finding the answers, but if we ask the right questions or the perceived right questions that we think in this current time, it's going to get us towards the right direction. So Mark, once again, thank you very much for being on the show, dropping your knowledge, and we'll definitely stay connected. And I hope you have a blessed day. You too. Thanks. Christopher Devian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.